Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 498 for the 19th of June, 2016. This week, text editors aren't just for programmers and website designers. Writers can benefit from the uncluttered interface, too. Live streaming feeds, the ones that provide unauthorized access for live events, may also provide a pathway to your computer for malware. In short circuits, net neutrality scores a win in federal appeals court, but the battle won't be over until it gets to the Supreme Court. Microsoft plans to acquire LinkedIn, in spare parts, only on the website, the biggest growth industry for crooks these days is ransomware, and spam has progressed from being just annoying to being extremely dangerous. Not everybody needs a plain text editor, but maybe you do. If you do, UltraEdit and UltraEdit Studio are applications that you should be looking at. I have used UltraEdit since the beginning, that's 20 years now, and it's still an application I use every single day. Besides being an application that provides code highlighting for every programming language that most people have ever heard of, it's a great way to write prose when you want to make sure that formatting doesn't get in the way. Let's take that second use case first. Our brains seem to have two modes when it comes to writing. There's composing, and then there's editing. Except for legendary writers like Isaac Asimov, who could write faster than most people could read, and seem to be able to write fully formed text on the first pass, most of us do need to get our thoughts down first, and then work to improve the structure and the grammar. Writing in a standard word processor, such as Microsoft Word, adds yet another layer. Because Word can format text with bold, italic, indents, headlines, bullets, and a whole lot more, it's hard not to think about those capabilities, and that makes it easy to run off the track. Writing in an application such as UltraEdit eliminates that distraction. Then the user can concentrate on getting the thoughts down. That's why just about every article you see on the TechBiter Worldwide website, or here on the podcast, begins in a text editor. Most of the time, that text editor is UltraEdit Studio. I knew that I always wanted to have the current version of UltraEdit Studio, so several years ago I signed up for their continuous update program. The cost was uh, double, or maybe a little bit more than double, the cost of a single license, but now I receive every update without any additional charge. When UltraEdit Studio 16 was released recently, I expected numerous incremental improvements. What I got was a completely new approach to text editing. More about those improvements in a bit, but before we go there, let's consider the primary case for a text editor, and that is writing programs. Programming languages are similar to spoken and written languages in that they have subjects, verbs, objects, and syntax rules. Ideally, a program editor will help the user make sense of these components, and that's what color coding is all about in a text editor. Many languages use parentheses, square brackets, and curly brackets to enclose certain terms or constructs. 
When I'm writing in just plain old English, it's not uncommon for me to omit a closing parenthesis. Hopefully I go back and find that before I show it to anybody else. In English, it would just be bad writing. In a programming language, though, omitting one of the closing marks will almost always lead to trouble. UltraEdit Studio automatically adds the closing parenthesis immediately after the user types the open parenthesis. The same is true for other pairs, such as brackets, the square ones, and braces, the ones you think of as curlies. You'll see a screenshot on the TechBiter Worldwide website that shows UltraEdit Studio automatically including the closing parenthesis. In the case I show on the TechBiter Worldwide website, there's a function, validate form, that takes no argument. The argument would go inside the parenthesis if one was required. But the parentheses are required to tell JavaScript that this is a function. Whenever the cursor is on a beginning or ending mark, UltraEdit Studio highlights the corresponding mark. Code inside the curly braces can be collapsed. If you click a minus sign that's in the left margin, that would hide all of the lines between the opening and closing curly brace. This is really handy if you've confirmed the code within that section is OK and you want to concentrate on some of the other code. By the way, none of those functions is unique to UltraEdit Studio. I include the description only in the interest of illustrating why a program editor has special features for programmers. So let's take a look at what's new in UltraEdit 23 and UltraEdit Studio 16. First, you might wonder why the numbers are different. Well, UltraEdit is the original program. UltraEdit Studio is a superset of UltraEdit features with a variety of additional functions and tools for programmers. So the numbering sequences differ. I mentioned that this was a surprising release. That's because the user interface received a complete overhaul. Long-time users may be a bit puzzled or even unable to find some of their favorite features for a while, but reviewing what's in the menus will get you back in operation quickly. Despite the fact that Microsoft received a lot of grief for the ribbon interface that was introduced half a decade ago in Word, UltraEdit Studio now has a ribbon interface. That's because users asked for it, and IDM listens to its users. The ribbon makes the interface more customizable, and if there's one thing that seems to differentiate software developers from the rest of us, it's their desire to make the tools their own. There's also improved support for ultra-high-definition displays, which are becoming a lot more common. IDM surveyed users to find out what was desired. The results were very telling, the release notes say. You wanted a more contemporary look while not sacrificing the ease of use and functionality, an easier user interface, better handling of customizations, and last but not least, ultra-high-definition display support. The new version succeeds, but not without some growing pains. The release notes say, as a necessity of the new window framework of UltraEdit Studio version 16 and later, existing menus, toolbars, and layout customizations cannot be maintained in the new version. However, any future customizations in version 16 and later will be preserved throughout all future releases. The ribbon makes it possible for users to create new tabs with custom names, create groups within those tabs, and then add favorite functions to the groups. Users have complete control over the overall interface colors as well as colors used to highlight various elements in the programming languages. Although most programmers will choose a typeface in which all character widths are the same, those who prefer a typeface with proportional characters can have UltraEdit use it instead. 
And if you're somebody who absolutely positively detests ribbon interfaces, you can just revert to the older toolbar menu mode. It takes two clicks of the mouse. If you're a software developer who has used previous versions of UltraEdit or UltraEdit Studio, I think you ought to take a look at these new versions. And if you're someone who needs to write, but finds that a word processor sometimes gets in your way, maybe it's time for you to take a look at UltraEdit too. For writers, once the text is complete and you've done all the necessary editing for structure, usage, and grammar, it's really easy to pour the words into a word processor, Word, for example, or into a desktop typesetting application such as Adobe InDesign. The bottom line for UltraEdit and UltraEdit Studio, five cats as always, no matter how you use a text editor, UltraEdit has you covered. UltraEdit has led the way in this market for more than 20 years. If you're a programmer, UltraEdit Studio includes all the tools you need to stay organized. If you're a writer, UltraEdit lets you concentrate on writing without being distracted by formatting. Additional details are available on the UltraEdit website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Let's consider the threat of live streaming. What should you be worrying about these days? Well, maybe not worrying, maybe just cautious. Millions of people use free live streaming websites to watch sports and other events online, but this comes with a security risk. Researchers from KU Leuven University in Belgium and New York's Stony Brook University have found that viewers can be exposed to malware infections, personal data theft, and scams. So maybe worry isn't too strong a word after all. As much as half of the video overlay ads on free streaming websites are malicious. Half. Video content on these websites is typically streamed without the content owner's consent. That means the providers aren't exactly running an above-board operation. As users watch the live streaming events, some of the services plant malware on their computers and portable devices. Free live streaming services have generally been analyzed from a legal perspective, but one of the study's directors, M. Zuber Rafik, says that their research has revealed substantial risks to users. The researchers built a semi-automated tool that helped them identify more than 23,000 live feed streaming websites on 5,600 domains. They then performed more than 850,000 visits, and reviewed more than one terabyte of traffic from the sites. Stony Brook University's Nick Nikiforakis says that the live streamers use deceptive techniques. One example, he says, is the use of malicious overlay ads, which cover the video player with fake close buttons. When the user clicks the close button, they risk being exposed to malware, he says. To alert users to potentially dangerous pages, the researchers have engineered a classification system that security analysts can use to find and report malware-laden pages. Currently, this system is available only to researchers. The plan is to make it publicly available at some point. If you'd like more details on this, see the KU Leuven University website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. <laughs>
In short circuits, a big win for net neutrality this week, but hold on. A federal court says high-speed internet service can be defined as a utility, and that is an important point for those who support net neutrality. I am one of those who supports the concept because it offers to maintain an equal footing for websites, whether large or small. Early in the week, a TechBiter Worldwide reader in California wrote, If I don't find some mention of net neutrality in court decisions this week, I'll think I have the wrong website. Well, you're on the right website, and you're listening to the right podcast. This week's court decision confirms the Federal Communications Commission's opinion that broadband is just as essential as the telephone service, water lines, and electric power. In effect, it says that these should all be available to every citizen, and not just to the rich who can afford luxuries. The decision came from a three-judge federal panel at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. The ruling was two to one. The FCC created rules to manage Internet access in 2015, and as expected, big providers sued to overturn the revised regulations. While this Court of Appeals ruling is a big step, it's not the final step. Clearly, the cable, telecom, and wireless Internet providers will carry the battle forward to the Supreme Court. A Supreme Court with only eight judges might produce a different result from one operating at full strength. The appeals court's opinion placed an emphasis on the Internet's importance to all Americans. At least for the time being, Comcast and Verizon are prohibited from opening fast lanes for the rich and relegating the rest of us to de facto slow lanes. Note that I am not talking here about network management. Network management can be used to route non-time-sensitive data such as email more slowly than streaming media. That is a legitimate thing to do. Fight for the Future, one of the groups that has lobbied hard for net neutrality, says one of the cable industry's best shots at overturning the rule has come up empty. But the organization warns the fight is not over. The ruling itself runs to more than 180 pages and seems to offer some opportunities for the FCC to establish even stronger oversight. The agency, for example, has suggested privacy rules that would reduce the ability of broadband providers to collect and share data about their subscribers. As always, stay tuned. Microsoft and LinkedIn have announced an agreement under which Microsoft will acquire LinkedIn for $196 per share in an all-cash transaction. Now, sit down for a moment while considering the math here. The cash deal is worth $26.2 billion. Wow. LinkedIn will operate independently, and Jeff Weiner will remain the CEO, but he will report to Satya Nadella, Microsoft's CEO. LinkedIn is a large and powerful business-related social network. Within the past year, it has launched a new version of its mobile app and increased its member engagement. The company also recently acquired lynda.com, an online learning platform, and rolled out a new version of its recruiter product to enterprise customers. LinkedIn says the enhancements have resulted in increasing membership and better financial results. 
19% growth year-over-year to more than 433 million members worldwide, 9% growth year-over-year to more than 105 million unique visiting members every month, 49% growth year-over-year to 60% mobile usage, 34% growth to more than 45 billion quarterly member page views, and 101% growth year-over-year to more than 7 million active job listings. Nadella says that Microsoft expects to accelerate the growth of LinkedIn and also sees the acquisition as a way for Microsoft to promote its Office 365 products. The transaction has been unanimously approved by the boards of directors of both LinkedIn and Microsoft. The deal is expected to close before the end of the year. It is, of course, subject to approval by LinkedIn's shareholders as well as some regulatory approvals. And subject to your approval... Spare parts, only on the website. This week, the biggest growth industry for crooks these days is ransomware, and spam has progressed from being just an annoyance to being extremely dangerous. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.